Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. You have one message. First message. Hey, Luke. It's Aaron again with your Halloween joke for the week. Here you go. Why was Cinderella bad at football? Because she had a pumpkin for a coach. <laughs> What's that? Oh, you say it's not, it's not a Halloween enough for you? Okay. Well, don't worry. I've got another one. This one's a little more Halloween-y. Why do skeletons have low self-esteem because they have no body to love. (laughs) Happy Halloween. Message erased. No remaining messages. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 3, Episode 37, Little Brothers, Big Curls, and Bad Collaborations. Today, we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, October 26, 1991. Hello, friends. Here we are. Another week's worth of 30-year-old memories to reminisce upon together. I am amazed and grateful each and every week that you all keep showing up to look back on our pop culture past, and I couldn't be happier to have you. Welcome. There weren't a ton of changes this week in 1991 compared to last week, but there were a few particularly noteworthy moments worth remembering. Among them, the October 22nd debut release from Queen's New York-based on-again, off-again hip-hop duo, Black Sheep, a wolf in sheep's clothing. This album peaked at number 30 on the Billboard 200 chart and was certified gold in April of 1992. Moderate success disproportionate to the well-deserved respect these two have garnered among their peers in the industry in the last 30 years. This album is included in the Source Magazine's 1998 list of the 100 best rap albums of all time. Also new to music shelves on October 22nd was the debut album from Ice Cube's then 18-year-old cousin, now a bit of a legend in the industry, Dell the Funky Homo Sapien. The album was entitled I Wish My Brother George Was Here, and it featured his single, Mr. Dabalina. Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina, won't you quit? You really make me sick with your fraudulent behavior. You're gonna make me flip and then an army couldn't save you. Why don't you behave, you little rug rat? Take a little tip from the tabloid, because I know I'm not paranoid. When I say I saw you trying to mock me,
While Dell never achieved any sort of massive Ice Cube-like success or fame, he's been consistently producing and releasing records for now three full decades and has been a part of, often a founding part, of some of rap's most revered underground ensembles, such as Oakland-based rap collective Hieroglyphics. Again, like Black Sheep, he's very highly regarded among those most in touch with the genre. The number one album on the Billboard 200 chart this week in 1991 for the second straight week and third week overall was Garth Brooks's Rope in the Wind. The top song on the Hot 100 was, once again, Mariah Carey's Emotions, while the number one rap song was Mind's Playing Tricks on Me by Ghetto Boys, each of which were repeats from last week. New to the top of the Hot Country chart this week was the second number one hit of Travis Tritt's career, at least on the Billboard charts, and the second single from his triple platinum selling sophomore album, It's All About to Change. Anymore. My tears no longer wave My resistance ain't that strong. My mind keeps recreating a life with you alone. And I'm tired of pretending I don't love you anymore Anymore This was one of four singles off this record, and surprisingly the only one to make it to number one, although they did all make it into the top five. I say surprisingly because the album's lead single, Here's a Quarter, Call Someone Who Cares, was a superior song in every way, in my opinion. Also surprising was the new number one song on the hot R&B and hip-hop chart. It's not surprising that it was number one. It's surprising that it was only number one for a single week. Boys to men's, it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. How do I say goodbye to what we had? The good time that made us laugh, I'll wait back. I mentioned back on episode 16 of this season that the original version of this song appeared in the 1975 film Cooley High, the film from which Boys to Men's debut album featuring their stunning take on the song, Cooley High Harmony, drew its name. There are few albums from the 90s that were more vital to my CD collection than this one. And honestly, one of the only exceptions that comes to mind is two Boys to Men's 1994 follow-up to this album. Of Cooley High Harmony, I'm proud to say I had both the original on cassette and the 1993 extended reissue on CD, which included one of their greatest songs of all time, End of the Road, in English and Spanish, and their cover of the 1956 doo-wop song, In the Still of the Night. I don't mean to brag, though. Anyway, speaking of hard goodbyes, 
On October 24, 1991, Gene Roddenberry, the legendary creator of Star Trek, passed away at the age of 70. And tragic as his death was, it wasn't entirely unexpected, as he'd experienced a significant decline in his health the last two years of his life. His memorial service was held on November 1st, with over 300 Star Trek fans in attendance. Patrick Stewart, Whoopi Goldberg, and Ray Bradbury were among the long list of folks who spoke in the service. The following year, some of Roddenberry's ashes were launched into Earth's orbit, with still more planned for launch into deep space in honor of his immeasurable contribution to the advancement of space research and popular interest. In far less significant television news this week in 1991, on October 26th, we saw the series finale of the short-lived but well-remembered Nintendo-centric animated series, Captain N, the Game Master. The premise of the show is that a fictional, real-life gamer named Kevin and his dog, Duke, get sucked into the ultimate warp zone, his television, and arrive as animated characters in a world filled with Nintendo game heroes and villains called Videoland. There, they battle it out with the main villain, Mother Brain, with the help of the N-Team, made up of Kid Icarus, Simon Belmont from Castlevania, Mega Man, Princess Lana, who doesn't actually appear in any Nintendo game, and a walking, talking, adolescent computer named Game Boy. The series lasted three seasons, and apparently was even being developed for a live-action feature film up until the actor behind the idea, Noel Clark, was accused of sexual harassment by like 30-plus women in the spring of 2021, essentially ending his career. Unlike Clarence Thomas, who, despite all the damning evidence against him of sexual harassment against Anita Hill, was officially sworn in to his lifelong role as United States Supreme Court Justice on October 23, 1991. Last time I'll mention it. If you haven't yet listened to the four-part podcast series Because of Anita, I highly recommend it. Now, on to happier things, like movie releases. First up, the perfectly forgettable, magical, realist rom-com starring Demi Moore and Jeff Daniels, The Butcher's Wife. Demi Moore is Marina, a girl who dreamed she was about to meet the love of her life. But it was Leo Lemke who washed up on her beach and took her to a romantic island far, far away. Leo! Hey, Doc! Meet Marina! Um, how much are these? Those are $3.50. This is three. There you go. Thank you. There's a lot of nuts in this city. You don't want people thinking you're one of them. Marina has always made predictions. I need veal chops. Lots of them now. And she's usually right. What's this? Veal chops, lots of them now. Especially when it comes to romance. There's love waiting for you behind a friendly face. Oh, I ever know for sure. I drink on such a primitive instinct. But love is about to take her completely by surprise. Because when it comes to the man of her dreams, she's off by half a block. Ah! I saw you in my dreams tonight. Oh, well, that's not uncommon. What was I doing? Smiling. She told me I was the man of her dreams. Maybe it's just not meant to be. I can't deny that I feel an attraction for you, but don't worry. Love is a leap that won't be denied. She's lonely talks. She's wonderful. She's incredible. I understand what you're doing. It's good, cousin. It makes it so much simpler. Demi Moore. Jeff Daniels. George Sunza. 
Mary Steenburgen. I've never met anyone quite like you. The Butcher's Wife. Well, you ought to get out more. This movie bombed commercially and critically, in fact, receiving multiple Golden Raspberry nominations, which, if you don't remember, are the awards given for Hollywood's worst movies and actors each year. Moore is on the record for regretting her involvement with the film. She made it strictly for the money and vowed never to do so again after making it. Next up, the Chuck Norris over-the-top action cliché, The Hitman. I'm not afraid to die. Are you? No. Well, then... This shouldn't hurt. One of the world's favorite tough guys, whose hits have grossed millions worldwide, is back. Just the way we like him. Chuck Norris is the hitman. Drop dead. Don't get in his way. This, like much of Norris's work throughout the 80s and beyond, was directed by his much younger brother Aaron. And, like the vast majority of that work, wasn't very good. Nonetheless, even now at 81, almost 82 years of age, Chuck Norris remains a treasure of American pop culture. Also, I just realized that means he was over 50 when he made this film, which makes it just a bit more impressive. Next on the list of new releases was perhaps one of the biggest commercial bombs I've ever covered on this show. From horror legends George A. Romero and Dario Argento, a cinematic double feature of sorts based on two separate short stories by Edgar Allan Poe, Two Evil Eyes. Wake He's still alive. From the creators of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, Two Evil Eyes. We are felons, Jessica. We have committed grand larceny here and fraud and God knows what else. Beyond the limits of morality. Oh. In a few weeks we'll have it all. And beyond the boundaries of life. I am dead. You killed her. And I didn't kill her! Take one look at him, then tell me you think he's still alive. The terror of George Romero. Wake up! The suspense of Dario Argento. A new dimension of evil that goes beyond all evil. Two evil eyes. Now, when I tell you this movie bombed, I mean it really bombed. It cost a modest $9 million to produce, but only made back less than $350,000, and more than two-thirds of that was on its opening weekend, meaning word traveled fast and far that this was not worth seeing. And this was the week before Halloween. In general, most of the complaints from fans had to do with the combination of Romero and Argento's very different styles. They wouldn't have been a match in any scenario, and were especially poorly matched with these two stories. None of the reviews I read made either director's contribution to the film out to be terrible. Instead, the word mediocrity was used quite a bit. The acting was fine, the effects were fine, but on the whole, this was just okay at best. Next on the list of new releases from this week in 1991, coming in at second place at the box office its first few weeks, although in my opinion it definitely should have been first, the debut film for a young actor named Steve Carell, and the final film directed by the great John Hughes. Jim Belushi, Kelly Lynch, and young Allison Porter in 
Curly Sue. Look out, America. The world's smallest con artist is in town. Why don't you pick on someone your own size, big ugly chump? <laughs> She's got a killer smile. Crack me right on the top of the head, all right? You're gonna cry. A knockout sweep. <laughs> and a partner. Okay. In crime. We don't steal. But we cheat. We don't break any laws. Well, some laws we do. Not the good ones. They know a good scam. <laughs> when they pull one. You killed my daddy! Or not! What possessed you to invite vagabonds into your home? Now, they're going from the poor house to the penthouse. This was the rest. From director John Hughes, creator of Home Alone, comes James Belushi in Curly Soup. Hey! Ah! You scared the living hell out of Curly Soup! What is she, the lost stooge? A little con artist who finally gets what she deserves, a family. You're a man. She's a woman. Give us a kiss. Please. We're in public. May I? May you what? Kiss your cheek. In a pig's eye. James Belushi, Kelly Lynch, and Allison Porter. Curly Sue. I feel like an idiot. Big laughs come in small packages. I don't get it. I loved this movie as a kid, and after re-watching it for the first time in nearly 30 years this past week, I still think it holds up. There are a few corny bits I could do without, certainly, but on the whole, this is a solid John Hughes film. Nonetheless, it got reamed in 1991. People genuinely hated it. Not enough to not keep seeing it in theaters, and not enough to keep it from being profitable, but still. Critics ripped it for being too formulaic and, I guess, cutesy? But I genuinely believe it's because they were still coming down off the John Hughes Home Alone high of 1990. So, I get it. It's not Home Alone. But it is infinitely better than the movie in first place this week, which we'll get to shortly. Altogether, Curly Sue brought in $33 million against a $25 million budget. So, not Terminator 2 money, but still, profit is profit. A couple fun bits of casting trivia. The role of Bill Dancer, Jim Belushi's character, was offered to Bill Murray which would have been amazing. But he had to turn it down as he was busy filming What About Bob? And the role of Curly Sue was originally intended for Christina Ricci, but she was busy making The Addams Family. Allison Porter, who did get the part, and played it to perfection, I might add, she went on to a few more minor acting roles, but she's much better known today for being the winner of season 10 of The Voice. Anyway, I think this is a much better film than it received credit for, and like I said, infinitely better than the movie that came in first place at the box office 30 years ago this week. The hip-hop dumpster fire that is House Party 2. Brothers, I can hunt a boat's face! I want to thank all of you for making it possible for me to go to college. I won't let you down. Your tuition check bounced. My tuition check bounced? Wake up, wake up, wake up! Get out of my room. Yo, without even hearing my plan. House party. House party? The mother of house parties, man. A pajama jammy jam. All proceeds going to the Christopher Robinson Scholarship Fund. Give it up, Black. 
What's going on, man? Name's Jamal. Do me a favor. What? Talk white. Love the rap. Everybody know about this part, but the three of you. I know, Grandma. What up with that? Oh, babe. Baby! I want to move. What up with that? You look good. Kid and Play. Full Force. Tisha Campbell. Iman. Queen Latifah. And Martin Lawrence. It's the slamminest party ever. House Party 2. As you may or may not remember, back on Season 2, Episode 10 of this show, my dear friend Aaron Hale and I, both having spent a lifetime remembering House Party fondly, rewatched the original and hated it. This week, I rewatched the sequel, convinced that maybe this was the film I was nostalgic about. Nope, it's even worse than the first one. There is genuinely not one thing about this movie that I enjoy, respect, find funny, or recognize as art. It's 94 minutes of racial tropes, chauvinism, plot holes, bad jokes, and cartoonish sound effects. I hated it, and I hate that it turned a profit its very first weekend in theaters. It only cost $5 million to produce, which is very obvious when you watch it, but it made over $6 million back on its opening weekend. It grossed nearly $20 million worldwide all said and done. I'm already dreading covering House Party 3 in 2024, but still holding on to hope for Class Act in 2022. I loved that movie so much as a kid, and I really don't want to have to hate it now. Anyway, thankfully this will not still be number one next week, so we never have to talk about it again. Friends, that's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I do hope you'll join me next week for more 1991 goodness. Until then... I'll leave you with the wisdom of Mr. Lee and then never mention House Party 2 again. Sometimes you got to do what you don't want to do in order to get where you want to be. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 30 years ago that you want to share... Leave a message on the answering machine at 30pop.com.